for this res buzz, we have Laura Weiss and Krista Downey. Um, and it's going to be facilitated by me. I'm Annalie and also a fellow GRF, Vera. Um, so before we started, we wanted to give Laura and Krista an opportunity to just introduce yourselves um, for anyone here, anyone listening. Um, and we can start with Laura. Okay. <laughs> Thanks so much for having me here tonight. I'm delighted that someone thinks I'm interesting enough to talk to. Um, my name is Laura Weiss. I'm the Sexual Violence Prevention Program Coordinator at the Scorton Center for Health Initiatives at Cornell Health, and I'm also one of the confidential victim advocates. Um, just by way of a little more background, I've been at Cornell for almost 15 years. Um, I've been serving as a victim advocate for six years, and prior to doing this work, I was the director of the Women's Resource Center and the Dean of Students Office for a long time. My name is Krista Downey, and I'm the director of the Engineering Career Center. And I am honored not only to be here today with all of you, but also to be on the same uh, day, the same panel topic as Laura. So I'm really excited for this conversation. And I've been at Cornell for 17 years this spring. I've been the director of the Arts and Sciences Career Center, and I've spent my entire career in engineering and arts and sciences and career services. Um, so just to start the conversation off, um, if you both wouldn't mind sharing a little bit about how you ended up at Cornell and um, what's driven you to choose this um, place as your current pit stop and you're in the journey of life, um, especially since you both have been here for quite some time. Um, and I guess, Krista, if you would be willing to go first. Happy to. I do love Cornell. I am very um, happy to be a part of this community. And also, it was good fortune that I ended up here because really I was striving to live in Ithaca. I think it's super cool and a great place to live and raise a family. And so when my husband and I visited here in the fall of 2003, we just decided this is where we wanted to be. And uh, six months later, we had jobs, we had a house, and we were full in, and we're going to stay here for quite a while. I guess I, I am surprised to hear that because my, my route here feels very similar as well. <laughs> um, I wanted to live in Ithaca, and it was just uh, happenstance that an amazing job opened up at Cornell that I wanted so badly. Um, but I actually grew up in the Finger Lakes, so it was a need to be a little bit closer to family, um, but not too close. So Ithaca is a nice, sweet spot. <laughs> um, and in terms of the, I think you use pit stop. I feel like this is more of maybe, maybe the destination. I've been here for a while and I don't think I'm going anywhere. My next question is pretty similar to the last one. Um, it has to do with your background and how you ended up at Cornell. Um, so I wanted to ask, how did your educational background impact or lead you to your current careers? Do you have any favorite undergrad or grad classes or professors that inspired you in your career trajectory? I think, well, I'll, I'll tell you a little bit about where I started, and you might be surprised where I ended up. I actually majored in English literature and history with a minor in women's studies. Um, and those are awesome subjects that I absolutely loved learning about. Um, I also almost had a minor in art history. I really loved art history as well. Um, all subjects that really don't have a super clear <laughs> trajectory career-wise, um, you know, not, not really pigeonholed by doing those things. Um, but I loved them. 
And I think I used my time in college to really explore and and follow up on the things that I found interesting and enjoyed and just wanted to know more about because they intrigued me versus having an actual career plan or thinking about after graduation. Um, But uh, when I look back on it, it was actually my extracurriculars that play most into what I ended up doing or what I do now. Um, As an undergraduate, I was involved with the Women's Resource Center at my college, um, a sexual violence student-run hotline, uh, a sexuality group, an LGBT group. Um, And it took me a really long time to actually reflect and realize that those were the things I ended up doing (laughs) work-wise and that my academics were wonderful and, you know, helped me in all kinds of different ways, but weren't the, the career path move that really uh, I ended up following. So I, uh, after undergrad, I worked at a rape crisis center. I ended up getting my master's in social work. Um, and really, I think if you ask me, what do I do? I would probably say I'm a social worker because it just feels very central to um, who I am and kind of how I try to do the work that I do in whatever capacity that is really kind of centering other people's experiences and, and learning from them. Yeah, so I was an undergraduate business major at Carnegie Mellon, and I enjoyed the classes. It was fantastic. And when I thought about going out into the workplace, um, you know, ref- I took a look at what I enjoyed doing, and that was all of my extracurricular work as well. I was a head orientation counselor. I uh, was in the Student Alumni Relations Committee. I designed programming to connect alumni with students, not terribly different from what I do now. Um, and I just, I loved it. So, um, so I went to graduate school for a higher education college student personnel at Miami University in Oxford, Ohio, and worked with Marsha Baxter-Magolda, who's a leader in the field, fantastic woman and um, brilliant mind, and also her husband, Peter Magolda who was um, wonderful as well. And just, you know, we took some great classes on student development and also um, student culture and just cultural cultural analysis in general and understanding how cultures um, within communities really can impact all that happens in a community. And so that was, was all quite informative for any line of work, but in particular focused on higher education. And so I did do some work in orientation and academic advising and um, outdoor education in a variety of areas, residence life, and found that career services is most exciting to me because it's very much futuristic about possibility and exploratory. And, um, you know, it's all the good stuff. People leave career services generally feeling pretty happy and good about themselves. So I like that. So I'm curious to know, you both in your current roles at Cornell serve as advocates for students. And I'm wondering if you could speak to what prompted you into student-facing work. So so interesting. I'm, I'm energized by learning, by innovation and possibility and all of that's found in higher education, right? So um, I have other areas of interest too, but you know, there's something about being with young people, particularly young people who are really striving um, to do important, exciting, challenging things that I find very energizing. And so I just greatly appreciate being part of this type of community. 
You use such good words. I want to steal them all <laughs> and repeat what you said, Krista. Um, I really love working with college age young adults. Um, I think it's college is such a time of exploration and self-discovery. And I think that it's a, just a time to learn so much about yourself and the world around you and to be away from perhaps family for the first time and really get a sense of who are you independent of where you came from whether that's family or location or geography or whatever. Um, so I just think that that's such an amazing thing to witness um, and to sometimes intersect with and interact with. So I, I just find that really great. And I love having conversations with students about their passions and their interests and what, they, what new thing they've learned in class or about themselves or about the world around them. Um, because that happens on a daily basis, I think, when you're a college student or a graduate student. Um, <laughs> you're still still learning all these things and discovering all these things as a graduate student, too. Um, so I just think it's a time of life that's really interesting, and there's so much personal development happening. Um, and I think, like you said, Krista, it's really energizing to, to be around people who are doing those things. So the next question is shifting gears a little bit um, to talk about just the pandemic and how it's kind of impacted life on campus. Um, so my question is, the COVID-19 pandemic has dramatically impacted the way that life works and how our campus is operated. Um, what impact has the pandemic had on your ability to work and the way that you work with students? So with the one-on-one -on -one appointments that we have with students, it's been great, really, because I think students are able to open up and have the same conversation much of the time, you know, they're able to schedule and find a time. And for the most part, the, the virtual remote appointments have been good, either phone or zoom. Um, and we don't have to think about traveling, getting to a certain place at a certain time. So I'm feeling good about that. I'm not feeling good about the lack of, you know, opportunity to go and interact in a group setting in a group space, you know, um, you know, I'd love to get back into the classroom, get back into some workshops and things like that. I think students are missing that sense of community while also being fatigued by doing it all on Zoom. And I am as well. I get that. Yeah, there's some pros and cons. I was saying earlier, I haven't been to my office in over a year. I've been working fully remotely. Um, and that is a complete and utter change um, from spending so much time on campus and evenings on campus um, with the programming that I was doing. So it's it's been a real shift. And I think there have personally been some benefits to not commuting anymore. Um, I really appreciate that I'm home at the end of the day without magic. Um, Work-wise, the work with students individually doing victim advocacy, I think has remained pretty, pretty much the same. Like Krista was saying, Zoom, I think is, is actually in some ways I think it's added more access for some people who found who might have found it hard to come in in person to talk about experiences of sexual violence or dating violence or harm in some way. Um, so I, I kind of imagine that this might stay when when we resume whatever form of normal things become um, that having Zoom as an option for people might stay um, just for those who aren't comfortable or or it's difficult, or they're off campus, or they're out of state, or whatever the situation might be. Um, the other components of my job, I, I have kind of four main parts of my sexual violence prevention role, um, two of which are completely on hiatus because of the pandemic. They're just 
they involve programming, they involve working with students and groups and they just, they don't work with the current situation. Um, so I've really, the Scorton Center altogether has really put a big shift into COVID uh, education and behavior change. Um, so I have spent a lot of time doing COVID related things, which has been really fascinating. Um, I love to learn new things. So it's actually been really interesting to learn a lot about COVID and, and public health um, when it comes to disease <laughs> um, versus sexual violence. Um, so I like that. And I've learned some, I've learned some new skills as well. I had to learn all these different computer programs as a result of shifting things to an online platform. So that was kind of fun. <laughs> I don't know, Krista, how, personally how things have been, but I have a small child who has been remote learning for the past year as well. So um, I, I was saying <laughs> early on, I felt like I was on maternity leave while working full time, <laughs> that kind of trying to balance um, the work and home life, in some ways, it's so much more convenient. And in other ways, it's it's really challenging. Um, so I know we're all, we've all had to make such shifts and, and changes in our lives, but that's how it's impacted me personally. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you both for sharing. And I also, I've been thinking a lot about myself. Um, I've noticed that I've been accessing um, resources now in this day and age that I wasn't before. Um, a lot personally for mental and emotional well-being. Um, and it just makes me wonder too, and even academically, like what, how this is going to transform um, just our normal way of, um, of, of operating in a higher education at large. On, on a different note, um, Krista, this question is for you. Um, so you mentioned that you've um, previously worked for um, the career services in um, the College of Arts and Sciences, um, and now are the director for the Career Service Center um, for the College of Engineering. Um, and I wonder if, um, if the way that you approach supporting students through their career exploration, like what does that look like um, for different student populations? Does it look different? Um, and yeah, how has like the change in student population influenced the way that you approach your advising, if at all? Yeah, um, thinking about the most recent switch back to engineering, um, it's been interesting because in arts and sciences and in liberal arts programs, generally speaking, the approach it, um, is to support students in exploration, to encourage that exploration and to recognize that students probably don't have a plan or may not have a plan or, you know, it's just, it's, it's much more exploratory versus in engineering, the more traditional approach is, okay, you've chosen your major, let's get a move on, let's start that path. And I think in the return back to engineering in 2015, I was able to bring with me that mindset of, maybe more people are exploring than we're willing to admit um, or recognize, right? So let's look at all of the arts and sciences students who also have no idea. What am I gonna do with an operations research major? That's quite broad and leaves open much possibility. Or even, you know, pick any of the majors. Who's to say you're gonna do a particular thing? And so helping students to explore their values, interests, skills, strengths is a piece of it that we've always done, but then also exposing students to different ways they can put those 
into action to solve various challenges in the world. So look at, you know, what's really important to you? What do you want to be a part of solving? And how do you use the skills that you've developed to go out and be a part of that solution? And let's find some alumni or others who are doing that as well. You know, you don't have to just rely on the big name employers that are coming here to recruit that everybody's talking about, but let's look at some other companies, what they're doing. Let's reach out to alums, hear their stories. So really encouraging that exploration and recognizing that that's common, that's okay, that's good, has been, um, it's been helpful to have that, to come from that level of perspective. Thank you so much, Krista. Um, my next question is for Laura. It's actually a similar question, um, just about transitions. So um, I know that you used to work at, as the director of the Cornell Women's Resource Center and have transitioned into your current role as sexual violence Pre prevention program coordinator um, and a victim's advocate. Um, I was wondering what kind of prompted that shift and how your approach to advocacy and the work that you do has kind of shifted in your new role as opposed to your um, old position. Such a great question. Thank you. <laughs> um, I guess uh, throughout my whole career of sexual violence has been a common thread. Um, it's the work that I started doing while I was in college. It's what it, my first job was after college. Um, and while I was the director of the Women's Resource Center, it was certainly a component of the work there as well. Um, the <laughs> um, I'm trying to recall all that you asked. A lot of questions in there. Um, in terms of making a transition, I think 12 years is a long time in a particular role. Um, and I think I loved working at the Women's Resource Center because it gave me a broader view. I wasn't just pigeonholed into sexual violence that I had been doing. Um, and it allowed me to spend time on a more positive end of women's experiences um, and celebratory things about being a woman. Um, so it was a nice, there was, there was a balance there for me. Um, but the sexual violence pull has always been there and it got stronger and stronger. Um, I served as a victim advocate while I was the director of the Women's Resource Center as well. So there was overlap there. And it's just work that I truly and passionate about and find really meaningful. Um, so when the opportunity arose for this new position was created, that would be sexual violence prevention full-time and I could still do the victim advocacy piece. Um, it just, it felt like the right thing to do. Um, and I think just, you know, change in general. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to get to a point of being complacent in a job and not, not having the passion for it. Um, you know, some jobs, the Wounds User Center, there are certain events that we did every year annually. Um, and I loved it, but it also felt like, oh, I've done this 10 times now. <laughs> um, so it's time for somebody else to come in and have a fresh perspective on these things. Um, so I was, it worked out really well, I think. Krista, this is another question for you. Um, so I know that a huge portion of your, um, your career has been focused on um, women's empowerment in STEM fields. Um, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering if you have, um, any advice that you would give to, um, women or, uh, gender marginalized individuals who are interested in entering into STEM fields. Um, and, um, if you could 
speak to any challenges or a lot of or the barriers that exist for uh, women and gender marginalized people um, in these career fields um, and what they can do to prepare themselves to enter those fields confidently. Think about this so much, partially because it's part of my job, partially because it's just an area of great importance to me. <laughs> I have so many more questions, I think, than I have answers. But, um, you know, one piece that I, I, I hope that in the four years at Cornell, as we, as Laura said, as we're encouraging students to really reflect on who they are as a person, who they want to be, what's important to them, you know, all of that, you know, that I hope that that growth and transformation that can happen during four years can happen. And, and that part of that, it, it can happen with, you know, a large number of students, most students, all students, you know, but the, a good part of that is really understanding um, that there's a place. If you want to be at the table, there's a place for you at the table. And, you know, I would love for students to have the confidence to take that first step and pulling up a chair and claiming that place at the table. And then let's go from there and let's figure out what then is needed. Do you need additional skill development? Do you need additional support in how to navigate conversations or manage some of the backlash or things that, you know, are going on? Is it about the voices and the saboteurs in your head that, you know, you want to work on? How do we work through to get to that place of confidence and having the tools that you need to be successful? Thank you so much for that answer. And I think it connects a lot to my next question um, for Laura. So I know that you've been very involved with gender justice on campus, um, serving as a victim advocate and then in your role at the Women's Resource Center. Um, so this question is just a lot broader um, about gender justice on campus. Um, so I was just wondering about what it, what your thoughts are about like gender dynamics at Cornell, what Cornell could do better to make it a safer um, campus for women and gender marginalized people. Um, and just your thoughts, um, Holistically, I'm an FGS, FGSS major, so I love talking about gender on campus. <laughs> awesome. I'd love to turn this around on you and, and ask you your thoughts on this, um, which is what I usually do with students, too. It's like, you know, what do you see as the biggest problems? I have my my perspective um, as someone who's been here for a while and as an older adult, um, but it's really the experiences that students are living in the moment that matter. Um, and I think in some ways that shifts over time and I have seen shifts since I've been here and in some ways it's cyclical and the same issues recur um, like clockwork. <laughs> um, I think Cornell is a microcosm. And so the, the issues that we're seeing nationally and globally are reflected at Cornell as well. Um, the Me Too movement um, brought a lot of attention to a lot of experiences um, that students, I think, could relate to, whether it was in the classroom or in workplace settings or other areas of their life. Um, so certainly, you know, the world is so complex and students are navigating so many things around their identities and how they perceive themselves and how they think others perceive them as a result of their identities. Um, so I think I don't have a clear answer. I couldn't like give you the top five gender issues on campus um, just because I think they're really specific to people. Um, you know, and what you might name would be different than what 
um, you know, a male student, a white male student would identify as issues. And actually I've had those conversations and they definitely are different <laughs> perspectives on, on what the issues are. Um, so I think that, I think we're all clear that not everyone has the same experience at Cornell. Um, and I think the hope is to work for changes for individual students, but systemically for all students to make it a more equitable place um, and to make the experiences that people have here positive ones so that they look back on their time at Cornell and think that really was the time of my life. You know, I really loved being there rather than having really mixed feelings or even negative associations with what it meant to attend Cornell. What can people do to make Cornell safer? In terms of that, I feel like there, there are so many things that I wanna name. Um, but I think it's really, it comes down to creating a different norm um, and creating a social norm where people are treated with respect at all times in all situations. Um, and so promoting that in the way that an individual person treats other individual people um, is one way to do it in the positive, right? Like to be the role model, be the example. Um, but the other reverse way is to call it out when you see it not happening um, and to be you know, we call it a pro-social bystander, be the person who says like, I didn't find that funny, or you shouldn't say things like that, or are you okay? Because that was really rude and hurtful, that thing that happened over there. Um, so I think that's a piece of what it means to make Cornell a safer place. Those, sound, those are smaller things if we're going to rank them, um, but calling out the more low-level negative experiences, you know, on the scale of sexual, on the continuum of sexual violence, verbal harassment versus rape, calling out the verbal harassment, it makes anything beyond that seem so egregious and it stands out so badly that we could never tolerate it. So the further we move the needle to not tolerating any kind of bad behavior, I think we're, we're a better community for that. Um, and I think, yeah, I, I could go on for a really long time. I'll stop there. <laughs> Yeah, thank you for um, for that commentary, Laura. I know that um, in my department, there's been a huge push um, to acknowledge that, like as um, like shifting cultures uh, towards prioritizing respect and respect for each other, even at the micro level in our day to day interactions, um, and stepping in and calling out harm um, um, and microaggressions and um, uh, and feeling equipped to be a pro-social pro bystanders. Was that what you used? Um, yeah, uh, bystander intervention has been a big um, topic in my in my department in chemical engineering. So yeah, I, I even though we talk about it within our department, I think it applies to just every aspect of our um, of the spaces we occupy on this campus. Um, so it's something that I've been thinking a lot about, and it's cool to hear. Um, other other people are thinking about it as well. So um, my next question for the both of you is um, you both uh, do work that is um, advocating and supporting students um, emotionally and in their professional journeys. Um, and I wonder how do you take time for yourself? How do you care for yourself and prioritize yourself um, given how much support you're offering to others? Um, and also what advice you can offer to students um, in setting boundaries and taking care of their mental health. 
Sure, sure. This is a big, important question. Because um, we all need to be at our best to, you know, give our best, right? So generally, I would say I am very good at prioritizing exercise and healthy eating and leisure time. And, um, you know, my advice there is to put it on the calendar. You need to commit to it, you know, block off when you're going to exercise, when you're going to be done with work at the end of the day or the, you know, weekend or whatever it might be for you, prioritize that, the, the sleep and the time with family and friends or whatever the things are that you need to be at your best. The, the piece that I struggle with is um, managing the setbacks that come with seeing problems show up over and over and over, like all the things Laura talked about, all the violence. We, why are we, why, why is this still a thing? Why is today, you know, still being recognized as uh, gender, you know, equal, or I'm sorry, pay gap equality day, whatever. Yeah, I mean, it's ridiculous. And that's only, you know, if you average all women, like it, it, the whole thing's ridiculous. Why is it that women, and the BIPOC community receive in total, putting all of those populations together, and it was overlap, receive total less than 10% of venture capital funding. Like, it's ridiculous. Once the, you know, so, so that's where I sort of breathe, you know, <laughs> gotta like settle down, like try to be positive. So actually um, just this winter into the spring, just completed a six week positive intelligence, like daily app program that helps you to, you know, like, okay, we can be angry for a minute. Now we're going to set that aside and think about being empathetic towards ourselves and maybe being creative with solutions or taking action or something like that. That's more positive. So that was helpful for me. I still have a ways to go, but I'm also continuing with the program so that I can become a positive intelligence coach. Um, I'm already certified as a coach, but I want to incorporate that piece so that I can help more people. Because when I work with folks, um, you know, that, that comes up a lot, just that, that emotional, mental health and getting through all those saboteurs, which comes back to the claiming your space at the table too. Right. I I will say as a younger professional, I was very bad with self-care. You know, I was working in the field of sexual violence, working directly with survivors hearing a lot of experiences and seeing really up close what what impact that had on people. And that was very hard to shut off. And, you know, it was with me 24 hours a day, basically. And that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's not good for anybody. Um, so I, I feel like if I can pass any wisdom to, to younger folks coming up, um, it's to not do that. <laughs> um, actually find ways to separate yourself from your work. Um, I think it's really easy for work to become your main identity. Um, and I was really guilty of that for a long time. Um, but being able to turn work off to a degree doesn't mean that I, I don't, I stop caring about the people I'm working with by any means. Um, but carving out that time for oneself, I think is so critical. Um, since the pandemic started, I've been taking a daily walk. Um, it's like the, the time for myself. It's the only time I get to myself. Um, and it has become vital to my, um, not only my well-being and my happiness, but my like crankiness. <laughs> um, living with other people is very important. Um, so yeah, daily walk has really helped me rain or shine, snow or beautiful weather. Um, and I, 
I feel like this is so cliche, um, but I started yoga like a month ago. Um, never, I had never really done it before, but I found this amazing app that, I don't know, I kind of want to tell you what, I'm going to tell you, it's called Down Dog. <laughs> and if you have a, a .edu email address, it's free until July. Um, I do not work for them. I'm not getting a kickback for this, but it has just helped me to kind of take time for myself in a really restorative way. Um, I sometimes have my daughter do it with me. She talks through the entire thing. I don't know how you talk through yoga. Um, but, but I think, you know, between the walk and like 20 minutes of reflective, quiet time at the end of the day uh, has done wonders for me and for my mental health. And I think also having outlets of people to talk to, the people that you, who know you, who love you, who understand maybe what your work means, um, and being able to vent and laugh and send really inappropriate memes back and forth. I mean, everyone needs that in their life, I think. <laughs> Thank you so much for both of those answers. I think they were great advice. Um, Krista, as far as scheduling in um, time into your calendar, I started doing that. And I feel like it. one of my friends told me to do it. And it's like been great, I feel like, during the pandemic. And I also started yoga, um, Laura. <laughs> so um, during the pandemic, but I've loved it. Um, so I think those were both great answers um, on ways to just prioritize mental health. I think this year, especially with people spending a lot of alone time, it's great to like make sure you're prioritizing yourself. Um, so my next question is shifting gears a lot, um, but we just wanted to ask, so what is something that you've read or watched lately? Do you have a favorite book, podcast, movie, documentary, or any like form of media that you think um, students might be interested in? I really enjoy podcasts and I, I've, on my daily walk, I listen to a podcast and I feel like it's my time to learn about something new or just kind of leave my own life and get caught up in a story of someone else's life. Um, I think my very favorite one is called You're Wrong About. Um, and it's kind of looking back at, at pop culture and experiences. Of, I don't know, it doesn't feel that long ago to me, um, but stories that the media got wrong or that our, our remembrances of the event are totally not accurate. Um, and it's done in a real, the hosts are just really smart and fun and funny. So I love that one. Um, I do listen to some true crime ones as well. I don't recommend that to everybody. <laughs> um, but I, I, I like a mystery. Um, so that's the other thing that I've been doing. I have been rereading Agatha Christie novels. Um, they are my comfort books. They are my go-to of just, you know what you're getting. It's it's a cozy story. It's quaint. It's not gory in any way. And there's going to be a reveal at the end. Um, and my memory is poor enough that I actually, most of the time, don't remember who did it, even though I'm rereading it. So it is still a surprise to me. Um, but I think those are the main things that I've, I've been enjoying and appreciating. Love it. Yeah. Podcasts are something I avoided for a long time. I'm very into books. We talk about books forever, but I got into podcasts a few years ago um, when I was spending a lot of time catching up on the latest with financial, um, personal finances and financial independence. And there's a lot of good content out there. I recommend um, Gene Chatsky's um, Women with Money, I think is the podcast title. It's definitely the title of her book. And then also Journey to Launch um, are two good ones, speaking of female empowerment. But I also want to talk about the one that I'm really into lately, 
is Brene Brown. Oh my gosh. I love Brene Brown and her podcast. The fact that, you know, she just brings such a diversity of um, speakers. And actually when you think about documentaries and books that if you just go back through her podcast, those are the books I've been reading. Everything, every person who comes on her podcast and talks about their book, I've been, you know, tried to read their book um, or watch the documentary. And um, one of the earlier ones was Laverne Cox and her documentary called Disclosure about trans lives. And so many aha moments for me about the intersections between how we as a society treat and you know look at trans people and how that plays out and, and comes from how we look at women and treat women and I just you have to watch it it's incredible uh, thank you both so much for those answers really because I am a podcast addict and a book addict um, and Actually, Laura, like I, all my favorite YouTubers, they have all of a sudden become aware, aware of the You're Wrong About podcast. So it's been recommended to me, like, well, not to me directly, but to the audience, which I am a part of, like five in five of my favorite YouTubers. Um, and you're like the sixth, now the sixth recommendation that I've received about this podcast. So I'm very excited about that. So excited <laughs> to be ahead of the curve on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. And also, I've also been looking for more podcasts about financial literacy as well. So um, this is, it's good to know that um, what, where, where to find or who to, who to look out for. Uh, One question that I have for both of you, um, and this is also a little bit of switching gears a little bit, um, is uh, who is someone um, that inspires you or has inspired you to do the work that you do? and I guess another way of thinking about that is, do you have a role model? Um, and if so, who who is that person or who has that person been for you? I can name three people, um, if that's okay. One, I'm sure does not know that I see them in this light. So I think it's it's always interesting to, to find out that you have impacted someone in a way that you didn't even realize yourself. So she'll never hear this, but <laughs> um, she was my, my first boss out of college. She worked at the Rape Crisis Center and she was my supervisor my first year working there. Um, and she was just, she did it all. Um, she balanced work and life. Uh, she was a fabulous supervisor. She, you know, her passion for the issues came through um, and and she was really willing to help me bring me along um, as, as a newbie to the field and as a 22, 21-year-old um, to what it meant to actually work, <laughs> like a job after college, too. Um, so I've, she has a special place in my heart um, for really setting me on the track that I ended up taking. Um, and then my current colleague, Nina Cummings, who is also a victim advocate and has been a victim advocate at Cornell for decades, I think. Um, She's an inspiration. She's absolutely amazing. I love working with her. I love learning from her. Um, She just has such perspective and such a wealth of knowledge. And, you know, someone who's been here for a a longer time than I have to to be able to see the waves and kind of see the trends um, and be able to point to, well, you know, the way that we addressed this back then worked or didn't work. So we know what to do or we need to do something different. It's just really helpful to, to have her guidance and perspective. Um, 
And then the third person is actually the former director of the LGBT Resource Center at Cornell, who has since left Cornell. Um, but we worked together very, very closely when we were both directors of centers together. Um, and despite him leaving me three or four years ago, uh, we text literally every day. Um, and again, the inappropriate memes are largely between us. <laughs> um, he is someone who is so passionate about the work and about higher ed um, and just so knowledge. I mean, you couldn't name an article that he hadn't already read, you know, he's just up on everything. Um, and it was an honor to work with someone who just really knew the higher ed language and the perspective that I don't have. You know, I come from a social work and now a public health angle, um, which I think has its own uses. So, you know, the all perspectives are really interesting and, and helpful. Um, but he's someone who has just really impacted my life in so many ways, professionally and personally. Um, his twins are my godsons. So like the the role that colleagues can play in your life um, can really be forever. <laughs> I'll say that. Gosh, I see so many people with you know, doing great things and, you know, demonstrating behaviors that I admire. Um, got a bookshelf full of, and my Kindle full of examples and certainly people in my life. I guess I just, I'm drawn to people who are driven by a passion or a mission to somehow create a better place for the, you know, for others in the world. So many great people doing great things. So my next question's a bit broader and applies to the students here. Um, who, who are here on the call. So we just wanted to ask, do you have any advice for students um, as they navigate their time at Cornell? This can relate to career advice, gender justice, or just their time as students. Yeah, I mean, I'll start. I just, I think one of the most important things in college when you're spending the money and the time here to learn is to explore, to truly explore, to be curious, take a class or two or more outside of your major, outside of your college, in something that you never thought you would, you know, would be interesting and something that, you know, maybe even no one really recommended. You just discovered it and thought this looks cool, you know, attend a workshop or a lecture or something that seems completely outside of what you do. And then spend some time thinking about the connections between that and the interests that you do have. Um, so just the curiosity, really dig in and be curious. And then the other piece I think is just good, you know, for life too. the curiosity, but be bold, like really see what you want to do and go after and do it. Now's the time when you can try those things. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. And certainly you can do that later too, but there's a lot of space here to try new things and to see, you know, what type of person you want to be and where you're headed and yeah, be bold, be curious. I completely echo the be curious part. I was going to say, um, you know, really take the time to pursue the things that you're interested in, um, the things that are not related to your major, the things that aren't career focused. This is really a time when you can just delve into, you know, follow the thread of something that caught your attention and see where it takes you. Um, I think there's so many opportunities at Cornell and so many interesting speakers and workshops and recordings and eCornell, I don't know. Um, there's so much. And I think, you know, to say like, I don't have time. 
make the time, <laughs> find, find the time, um, because I don't think you'll regret it. Um, and the other piece I would say is just find connection um, and, and be open to being the connection for someone else. I think there's such strong relationships that are formed in college. Um, and it's so important now more than ever in a pandemic for people to feel connected and that they have community and that they belong. Um, so seeking out those places and those people where you feel welcomed and that you belong, but also being being that person for someone else, um, being someone who is welcoming, being someone who's curious about other people, who's willing to say, hi, um, do you want to sit with me in the dining hall? <laughs> kind of, if we're allowed to do that. Um, uh, just making a point to be open to experiences as well as people. Uh, thank you for sharing that advice. I felt like college me was just like, oh my God, I wish I'd heard this uh, <laughs> sooner. Um, so uh, thank you for sharing that wonderful advice. Um, I have one last question to ask the both of you. If students um, do want to get involved in victims ad advocacy on campus or in the Ithaca area, um, or uh, even with career services, are there opportunities and how can they go about taking advantage of those opportunities? Yeah, um, with career services, absolutely. Every college is a career office. There's a central career office and the folk and the career offices are very eager to get to know students to help you, not just find that next internship or job, but also if you're open and interested in exploring, doing a deep dive into what really interests you, what are your values, what are the challenges you really want to address in your career, those are things we love to talk about. So, you know, schedule an appointment and we look forward to it. I, I would say for students that are interested in victim advocacy or getting involved in sexual violence prevention work, whatever that might look like, the Advocacy Center of Tompkins County is the local um, domestic violence, rape crisis, child abuse um, center that serves all of Tompkins County. So it's off campus. It's not affiliated with Cornell, but we work with them. We refer to them. We refer back and forth. Um, you know, they're always looking for volunteers. And whether if you're not in Ithaca, there's there's a rape crisis center near where you are, I, I promise. Um, and they they run on volunteers. And so it's an amazing way to really get a huge amount of education about the issues that survivors might be dealing with and how to assist them to learn some empathy and support skills um, and to to really get some insight into what the work is. Um, so it's it's a I think you you might get something out of it, and whether you go into the field or not, those are transferable skills. You know, being a, being a good listener and being able to support someone um, goes a long way. But it's also giving back to the community in a way that's so needed. The advocacy center here does trainings usually twice a year. Um, if you're interested in becoming a volunteer, thank you so much, Laura and Krista, for um, joining us today. It was an amazing conversation, and. We really appreciate your being here. 